One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One Aslan ring to rule them all. Lion. One the ring to lion. find them. The great lion. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. The wheel of time turns and ages come and Books from Earth, a podcast. Relive your favorite books of fantasy, sci-fi, and apocalyptic stories. Yes, there are lots of spoilers. The spoiling is constant. Yes, there can be adult content. We are adults making content. Spoilers, adult content, books from Earth. Time to relive a favorite book. Welcome to the Books from Earth podcast, episode four, featuring The Last Light of the Sun, the 2004 historical fantasy novel by Guy Gabriel Kay. This dusky, poetic novel transports us back to a time when Vikings roamed, Christianity budded, and kingdoms rose in the Anglo-Saxon world. Guy has written 13 novels to date. He's a Canadian, a philosophy major, a lawyer, but most fortunately for us, he's principally an author. Interesting side note, Guy was tapped by Christopher Tolkien to help Chris edit J.R.R. Tolkien's The Similarian, if I said that right. Guy's won lots of awards, although surprising to me, none for The Last Light of the Sun a novel I deeply enjoyed. So today, we reward his beautiful story, Last Light of the Sun, with episode four of Books from Earth. I'm joined by my fellow Books from Earth podcasters, Lou. Hi, guys. Maureen. Hello, pod world. And Jack. Hello, Earth people. Let's go back and revisit what this book is about. Guy Gabriel K takes us back to a time where you lived and died by the land and sea. In this novel, Kai brings together the the lives of three people, Byrne the Erling, who's constantly faced with his father's deeds, Alon the Kingale, who's exposed to the half-world after a tragedy, and King Aldred, who bears the responsibility of the Anglican people and their survival. Simple. Yeah, simple interweaving character stories here that take fascinating turns. Lou, you mentioned the King Aldred and these various places, where would you want to live in this world? I would want to live where the King Gale are. Just because the King Gale seem to me the most easygoing and free people. They're not as pious as the Anglican because, you know, you have this king who is, you know, King Aldred, who's like, he has that responsibility of trying to teach his people how to live, and he has that that Christian influence, you know, and he's, he's, he's a pious king, and he seems to be just a little bit rigid. Like, there's that part where at night, where everybody else in the kingdom, at night, they, like, party and they drink and whatever, right? But he reads a book, <laughs> you know, reads, reads their form of Bible. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, I would not want to be like that at all. I have a lot of respect for that king, to be honest with you, but it's just not me. It's just not me. How about you, Maureen? Any place in this world that appealed to you? I also, I'm with Lou. I want to be with the King Gale, but mostly because of the music. That's the, like, it just, it speaks to my roots. Um <laughs> And just like the singing and not necessarily the partying, but, uh, you know, they talk about the music and the voices and their voices. And it just it reminds me of my family. And, you know, and I think like Lou also said, they're just a little bit more laid back. I definitely wouldn't want to be an Erling. That is way too difficult. <laughs> I'm not about that. Yeah. So I think that that's where I would hang my hat if I were in this world. Jack, how about you? I, I my I feel like my people are are the the Welsh type people. Which which they're, one are those? They're this. What, don't make me pronounce it. Not the Anglicans the, or the Vikings. The Kingale. That's the how King I Gale. pronounce it. Yeah. Okay. The Kingale. They are my people. I'm Scottish Irish descent, so I feel like I might probably could almost look like them, you know. But I'm gonna go with the Anglicans. Because they have centralized government, border security, and, <laughs> you know, border security is a hot topic today. 
<laughs> in the news, but the immediacy of the need for border security, you know, when you're dealing with raiding Vikings is a lot, lot different than agricultural workers. So I, I think it might be a better quality of living to be among the Anglicans. I'm not into that, the, the religious stuff to the extent they are, but it would be a small sacrifice to, you know, live a somewhat normal life expectancy. Maureen, you disagree? No, no, no. I just want to add on to something because I, I had another thought and it's that like, I, I also want to be with the King Gale because they're the only ones with really a mystical part in this book. And everybody else just kind of ignores it. And that's why I would, if I was going to live in this world, I would want to have, you know, fairies and spirits and, and all of that stuff. Like, that's where I would want to be. Nice point. They, they are the sort of the in-between here. Viking group, the... It's so raw. The Erlings are so raw. They're so brutal. And um, but are also very passionate and sort of it just seems like they all wear their just kind of wear this kind of harsh emotional life, but with pride or something like that. All of these areas of the world that the book is based on are where my ancestry came from. And I'm wondering if that's one reason why this novel is so appealing to me. It was like speaking to my genetic code or something. So, where, but where do I really feel like I fall? I don't know. I the Vikings. No one, no one seemed to be interested in the the airlings or the they're called in the book, which are the Vikings. And I have to say, yeah, it's really harsh. Like if you're an Erling, like you want to basically die on the battlefield as soon as possible. That's like you fulfilled <laughs> your destiny. So, uh, but we have some of the characters in this book, which we might talk about later. Kind of decide on a different destiny so uh, i don't know where i land it just but because it all the, all the areas appeal to me and i'm just wondering because i have ancestry from sweden i have ancestry from ireland scotland and i have welsh ancestry and i'm just kind of like man i can't pick here i just i like all these i just love the setting of the whole book so this apparently this story especially the the part about king El, eldred is from around 900 ad there was actually a king a welsh king who was overrun by an invasion, hung out in the marshy, swampy area of his country land, rebuilt uh, an army there, and took back his kingdom. And he was, you know, like a poet philosopher king. It we're, you know, kind of at the end of the Dark Ages. What did this? Did this kind of time frame appeal to any of you all? Like, what, did that seem, on one hand, maybe just totally like a harsh time to be in the world, but on the other hand, maybe a really interesting time to be in the world, Jack? Harsh time to be in the world. Definitely interesting. I would love to visit, but not stay forever. You know, there'd be disease, famine. It's the kind of place where, you know, uh, you step on a nail and you die six weeks later, right? You get a toothache and you die six weeks later, right? So it's not somewhere I'd want to stay necessarily, right? I mean, you die. Women are dying in childbirth. Children are not, are not, babies are not surviving childhood. So I wouldn't want to stay, but I would love to visit, but not stay. No, no. Any, anyone want to stay? Not at all. Not at the moment. <laughs> nope. 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 Question for you all. Was there magic in this book? Lou? Yes, but it was barely there. It was like the magic was, um, you know, it, with, among the Anglican, it was suppressed because you had the pious king and they were pushing you towards their religion, you know. So they were trying to replace an old religion to a new religion. And it was barely, it was like barely there, you know, uh, for instance, Aland and the king himself and uh, what was his name, Brian, could, be, could, could see the half world. They could see the fairies, right? But two of them suppressed it. They were like, uh-uh, we're not going, we're not going there. And the only one who kind of, you know, embraced magic in a way was Alan. He embraced, he embraced it. And towards the end, he got the sword, you know, and freed his brother. It, magic is there, but it's like, it's barely there. Maureen, is there magic? I, yes. And what it reminded me of was my, the fairy tale stories that I used to read when I was growing up. It's not magic as a part of like 
a universal thing. It's magic that is localized to a culture, which I, it was much more like a folk tale than a fairy story, if that makes sense. Whereas like a lot of the books that I read as an adult are worldwide magic on a massive scale. And, you know, this was much more of a, a magic from the land and even, you know, even the mystic fairy lady was talking about how the magic was fading because people were stopping believing in it. It's that's like the stories that I grew up with. Like, I really appreciated that. I thought it was just beautiful how it was interwoven. It was a major part of the story, but it wasn't the story didn't happen because of it, if that makes sense. So that's why I liked it. Nice. I like that. Jack, how about you? Is there magic in this book? There is. If you were to go back in time, hundreds of years on this, there'd be more magic. And if you move forward in time, there'd be less magic. And there was that one section where the, when they stumble out of the woods, the haunted woods, haunted forest, whatever you want to call it, enchant, enchanted forest, and they, they surprise that young woman. Later in her life, they cut down one of those trees, those trees that they're scared of. He does the, one of the things that the author did I really liked was those long asides. You know, he a character that normally would just be like, mm. and, you know, he bumped into a woman as he ran around the corner. He would just do like four pages of what her life was like. You could see the forests are someday going to get smaller, right? There's some environmental themes there, and they were, they were going to be get cut down. And I picture just the shadow of magic existing maybe today you know you get the right lighting the right moon the right person in the right state and they could just hear the echo of a shadow of magic you know but as we embrace technology and mow down the forests we lose it this kind of magic that's in this book is different than when i normally think of magic when I normally think of magic, I think of like Harry Potter with a wand, or I think of the magic that's so well developed in the Wheel of Time series, which you know kind of comes from within, from within people and their inner energy. Uh, I think of magic that is basically wielded as a force, one way or another, with or without a tool by human beings, and the magic is able to have a power. It has an active force on things in this book it's something else the magic doesn't seem to be it's not wielded by anything as far as i can tell it just kind of there is there is this half land and i just i'm like is that magic or is that really just another world and the two worlds interweave but they're really their own separate deal except as as you guys are alluding to there there's a connection between nature and this magic there are humans that can inter interact with it but they don't belong there so this this kind of magic is of a completely different flavor throughout the whole story it's it's sort of in the background where we have a couple characters who are interacting with it it's it's just so beautifully done that's a magic that I was kind of asking myself, would I want to have a wand and have like powers of my magic, or do I want to be in touch with that magic? Tough call. Maureen, I think you have a favorite passage. I do. And it comes from chapter 13. But sometimes the most gallant actions, those requiring a summoning of all our will, access to bravery beyond easy understanding or description, have no consequence that matters. They leave no ripples upon the surface of succeeding events, cause nothing, achieve nothing, are trivial, marginal. This can be hard to accept. Eldred's youngest, younger daughter did something almost unspeakably brave, going alone at night into the blackness of a wood believed to be haunted, intending to confront the spirit world, which was the most appalling heresy according to every tenant she had ever learned. And she did do that and spoke a message, the warning she'd come to give, and it signified nothing at all in the wheel and turn of that night. 
Thank you so much. I had that one. I had that one queued up to do as well. It's so uh-huh. good. It's so good. <laughs> I like it because it's like you got to be brave anyway. You know, even if it means nothing in the end, you got to be brave. You do. And her action actually did nothing for the for the various plot lines she was hoping to influence. I know. <laughs> I know. And yet it did something for her. And his whole point is that, you know, when we take an action that's, you know, for, for something we love or someone we love or are giving to ourselves or take that risk, even if it doesn't even succeed at its aim or is even possibly irrelevant to its aim or doesn't even influence towards its aims, it still creates this ripple effect. Yeah. Well, and like the idea that when we go forward and do something, it doesn't matter if we get the outcome that we want so long as we try, you know, that's bravery to me. Awesome. Thanks, Maureen. This, as Jack alluded to, this author will sometimes just go down a quick little tangent and give us some backstory or a side story or just color in some lines that he could have left black and white. Did anyone have one of these tangents that really grabbed them i liked the i liked the the miller story the miller story yeah i mean remind us what that is okay so he is he killed he was the miller's apprentice and he killed the miller he made a lot of money being a miller right people brought their grain to him he would grind it up into flour uh, he I, kept he would kick some upstairs and then, you know, he was just sitting on a lot of a lot of money. And he was a, this, you know, miserable loner who just I, I just picture him by himself, you know, sipping his tea, talking about how the royalty sucks. And then the royalty like saves him. And he's like, no, 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 I, I think, the royal, you know, he, he's like that guy. He's like, I hate cops. And then. When he needs a cop, he's like, where's a cop? You know, and then the cops come and they hate him again. You know, so it was just funny. They fleshed out a full character <laughs> for no reason, you know, unnecessary character fleshing out. So that's just one example. But he did it a lot. You know, I alluded earlier to the woman they ran into outside, uh, you know, when they exited the haunted forest. So it was, it was great. I really, really enjoyed that. Lou, Maureen, did you did you all have any? I had. um the story of Ralph Erlikson, and he was the guy that brought the message um, from Jormswick to to the seer in Rabbitay Island. Isle. He was he was he didn't quite make it into Jormswick. You know, he didn't quite make it as a warrior, right? And he had his hand chopped off because he you know he got caught doing something. I, I don't quite remember. Full story, but he got his hand chopped off. So he was he was a guy who didn't have one, his his right hand. I think it might have been his left hand actually, you know. But he could work, and he was a merchant. He made a little bit of money. Uh, his wife died in childbirth, and then he'd be, he didn't have a lot of friends because he didn't he wasn't quite a warrior. You know, he was a Viking. He wasn't really quite a warrior, so he he didn't have that glory of raiding. And then Burn gives him some money, and he goes back to his where he lived. You know, that's where he wanted to end his days. You know, and retire because he made some money as a merchant. And so he goes back. He gives the message to the seer, which I forgot her name, but he goes back to the seer, and he lives his. He ends up living his life on Rabbitay Island, and then he dies. <laughs> he just dies. You know, five years later. Something happens and it just he goes back and he just dies, you know. So they didn't live a long life, but I, I did like how he described people's lifestyles and the, the, that tough life in each one of these tangent stories that he told. Yeah, these these snapshots are just really little jewels. Maureen, I'm trying to find it. It was the one um, with the girl who witnessed whose sister got murdered. And by the Earlings. 
and she witnessed them coming in. I think we were talking about it earlier. And then we get a flashback to years later of her and when she grows up and the kind of mourning that she did and how it brought the community together. And that's the one I liked the most, but I can't find it right now. Well, here, I'll, I'll talk about mine and maybe, okay. maybe you'll find it. So I, I actually have two, which is cheating. I know. I liked the whole backstory of King Eldred and being in the marshland exile with his headaches and his people kind of slowly coming in and him gathering them and then persevering in what just sounded like a miserable setting, waiting for the day when they can retake their homeland. And we get that whole backstory in full, and then we get to zoom up into time to when he's successfully done that and he's well on his way to building a kingdom. And I just – I love that whole backstory. I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they spent time on it. I also like the backstory of the couple that Burn comes across in the woods. Burn is – in the woods going to the bathroom and he like <laughs> comes across this couple this young couple in the woods who who are uh getting on with it he right there the young man of that couple realizes that he's an airling and that therefore he is a danger we learn something about burn in this little interaction because normally an airling would just kill this guy and probably the woman too or do something worse but burn like comes up with a strategy to get this hothead young man to he basically disables him without really wounding him too badly, and the girl of the couple is realizes that what needs to be done here is this hothead needs to be controlled or else they're both dead, and she kind of gets in on it as well by catering to this young guy's ego. Oh, you were so brave to to you know stand up like you did, and there's no way you could have beat him to a sword. And there's like this little conspiracy between Byrne and this girl to prevent something really bad from happening. And then there's like two or three more pages about how she goes on in life and marries this guy and she, the baker's daughter and all this kind of stuff and how the how the world just kind of intertwines like that and she always of course looks back and wonders what her life would have been like if she had rode off with you know Al, you know, burn the viking <laughs> it was it was a nice little jewel there so if if you get to talk about eldred i want to talk about frigga <laughs> <laughs> which was the main Erling's Burns mother and her awesome side plot where she go to the floor and they do the whole, she like goes with them, hides with them. And then when Burn comes back, he gives her all the money so that she gets to buy the house. And, oh, that was just amazing that, and she's like, She's finally living in a place where she's appreciated and cared for and loved, and she's not the second wife of a conqueror that dishonored her husband, you know? And it's in Burn, his, the dad, Thorkel, he was kind of difficult. If you look at, like, the, the scenes from Burn's childhood, he was drunk a lot, and when he was drunk, he decided it was time to fight. So she gets to go live with all of the lady witches – and then on top of that, her son brings her this incredible, like, redemption with all the money and, oh, you get to buy the house back and, oh, you get to kick the dude out. And it's great. Yeah, that was a great, great full circle. Um, and you mentioned the witches on Rabbity Isle. Did they have any magic? I don't think so. <laughs> no. I didn't – we didn't see any, did we? It was, it was like – it was a trick, wasn't it? In the beginning of the story, Burn, right, is tricked mm -hmm. by the old hag, and she makes a pretty nasty way. In a nasty way, she says it's in a really nasty way. All all day, like all day. we can call that what it was. It was rape. <laughs> yeah, all day, I was gonna say, Maureen, all day rape is nasty, no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta let that part. Yeah, it's it was it was a horrific scene, and then he thinks he's invisible, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like gonna walk right through his village, out the right. door, nobody's gonna notice, and then you know the younger witch comes along and says, "Dude, I can see you." Yeah, and he's don't like, do that. Oh. Yeah. And that story oh. had a that story had a full circle as well in this book. Yeah. Okay, was this book a slow burn or a fast burn, Jack? Slow burn with it had action scenes, but it was more thought provoking than compelling. Lou, slow burn or fast burn? Slow burn, just like Jack said. 
it's funny because this is when I, you know, I moved quite a bit. And when I moved this time around, I got rid of a lot of books. I got rid of a ton of books. And this is one book, for some reason, I did not get rid of. And for some reason, this book, um, even though when I started reading it again, I did not remember it. Um, but it, it, you know, it just left a uh, a memory that stuck. So, Lou, this is when was the first time you read it? How old were you? Oh, it was probably 2006. So I was a I was a young man, you know, 2006, 2008. It, it, had, it had been out for a while, I think, and. Yeah, so it was about ten years ago. And did you had you read the whole thing then? No. Oh, okay. oh no, I did. Yeah, I know. I read the whole thing. Okay. I read the whole. Yeah, I read the whole thing. And before I read this book, I had read his series, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing! Maybe the series, maybe this book would be like the series, which was it wasn't quite like the series, you know." And, the series and why was, did you why did you recommend it to us for the pod? Because. I remember it being such a memorable book. And I, I looked at it and I said, I wonder why I didn't throw this book away, you know? And when I picked up, when I started reading it and I, and I remember it, I said, oh my God, this guy gave her a K. He's one of my favorite authors. And I was like, okay. And then when I started reading it, I thought, and I just remembered why I love this book so much. And reading it a second time, it was more memorable. Because now, you know, I'm a little older little wiser uh, I sh- I can just see a lot more in this book than I did the first time I read it yeah that's the that's got slow burn written all over it but Maureen what, what would you add to that so it's a slow burn but it's in the, a slow burn in the way that you go to one of those fancy restaurants and get the fancy seven course meal where if you know what you're in for it's gonna be delightful like you take a moment and you taste the sauce <laughs> It's one of those beautiful things where walking into it, I know I'm going to have an appreciation of the language first off because he really has a gift for the way he crafts his passages. The world building is not going to be on a fantastical scale. It's going to be on a very personal scale. So it's a slow burn, but it's a, a slow burn in the way that it's you still get all the stuff you get from a fast burn, all of the world building, all of the excitement, all of the character building, but you get it served to you in a very different format, which I like. Yeah, so I was turning the pages of this book so fast. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so but was I, but it but feels not... like such a slow burn experience. Yeah. I mean, I was turning pages. I was like, I gotta, I mean, not the first 70 or so pages, but once these three main characters burn Alan and King Aldred started their story started to take on some momentum. Uh, I was turning pages like crazy. And yet my takeaway from the book is a slow burn feeling. It left me with a feeling. That's the hallmark of a slow burn book as opposed to a fast burn book, which is sort of like I'm turning the pages and after it, I'm kind of like done. I don't really feel anything. I just watched an action film and ate a lot of popcorn and that was, it was a great experience, but I forget. I forget. All I know is the good guys won, but, you know, I forget it all. This book left me with a great feeling, and so I'm going to have to go with Slow Burn, but it is the fastest page-turning Slow Burn book I've ever read. Speaking of Slow Burn, this book had a lot of, to me, touching relationships and touching moments in the relationships. Anybody want to talk about any of those relationships, Maureen? Well, it's really cheesy, (laughs) Um, but I'm a sucker for the – together forever love story and find new ways to appreciate each other. I really liked Aildred and his wife. That was my favorite where she was, I think it was Aildred, where she is getting ready to go off to the convent and you find out she's doing it because she's praying for his soul. It's generally like she is concerned. It's a general deep concern for him that she wants to leave the marriage. In the end, like when he gets okay with himself, all of a sudden they're better. 
that was the most wonderful touching thing out because it's like one of those things where yeah you're still going to be learning 25 years later about each other i thought that that was just so great there i enjoyed a couple different relationships in this book i think the most tense and moving one for me was burn and his father thorkelson was his father i think there, there are these moments where Thorkelson is coming in there. He's basically been kicked out of his own country. He's become the servant of another man, and he's a former Viking legend, but now he's just a nobody. And he, one of the intersections of this story is when he realizes his son is on a path of self-destruction, and he intercedes twice, and then finally a third time. These moments are always fraught with so much tension. Neither father or son get to say really how they feel about each other to each other, but it's quite clear from their reactions of of being in each other's proximity that there's quite a lot of intimacy and love there, even though Thorgelson used to be a drunk, and even though they haven't seen each other for years, there's still that father-son bond that can you know never be broken. So I like that one a lot. Jack? Well, I was going to go with that, what you just said, the father-son relationship. The thing I got thinking about was not looking at Thurkelson. You can't judge their relationship by modern parenting standards. At the time, I feel like he was a dad. Back in the day, you had a lot of kids. Most of them didn't survive. They were necessary to work on the farm or work in the shop or, you know, they were part of your workforce, you know, your your human resources, literally. It it wasn't it didn't have today's level of caring. And I mean it, that guy's the opposite of a helicopter parent. But in the end, and I don't know if you're gonna get to this question and if you are, did Thorkelson lose that battle on purpose? And I think he did. And it's not a hundred percent clear in the book, at least the way I read it. And I think it was a father sacrificing his own life for his child. And I thought it was great. He fought gallantly and skillfully enough to let his opponent know he could have won, then gave it all up so his son would get on a different path. Yeah, that scene in the book is incredible. And the ambiguity of how the battle ended was exactly how this book is in so many different other areas where it's, you know, are we are we in the magic land? Are we in the you know real land? Where are we? We're in this area, this the last light of the sun, this dusky area of in between, and that's that was a great scene, and and they really set it up nice because the former warrior is observing the battle and pointing out how Thorkelson's opponent has a weakness. You know, Thorkelson is moving in on being able to to take advantage of that weakness. And so we really think, oh, Thurgolson could win this thing, and then he doesn't, and it appears to be just – he's just – the way the author describes the minutia of the battle, it leaves open this gap of, yeah, he could have sacrificed – that's probably what he did. He probably sacrificed himself, but we don't know. But he, what, you know what we know at that point, though? We know he would have sacrificed himself. Yeah, definitely. Lou, any relationships in here that were touching for you? Well, you know, you guys actually touched on it. But I had two. You know, one was the, you know, Alan and his older brother. And I, I'm a younger brother. I have an older brother. You could tell that he really looked up to his older brother. And remember, these guys were princes. You know, his older brother was the heir to these uh, King Gale throne. He looked up to him. He was, and he was, his older brother was, was the warrior. He was a little tougher. And he was the singer, you know, he was the more of the poet, the thinker, uh, didn't really like fighting too much, you know, and they were on this, they were on that raid and thank God they got stopped. And then there was that, the Viking raid, he's, and after he sang, the way he sang, he wasn't supposed to sing that way. He sang a different way, which was, which went against the way you sing. It, it was such an emotional reaction, right? His brother had ran away because he sang this amazing song, right? So he had that guilt because that – and his brother fell in love with the uh, the daughter, but the daughter Brandon. fell in love with him, right, with with, with Alain. He runs away 
and he doesn't have a sword or anything, and they raid, and his brother gets killed, and you know the fairies take him, and I uh, and I think he has a lot of guilt over that, just an amazing guilt over it, and he blames the daughter for you know you killed my, you know you killed my uh, brother, and then though his whole life after that is shaped by that one incident, the guilt of his brother dying, you know, and then he becomes the heir also. And then at the end, where he saves, he frees his brother's soul from the queen. That I, I thought that was just an, another powerful story of uh, this younger brother, you know, who tries to live up, you know, looks up to his older brother and then ends up saving his older brother's soul. There's so many love stories in this book, all different kinds of love, you know, and father-son, siblings, romance, love of philosophy and everything. Such a touching story, and we're going to get to themes in a moment, but that was one of the things that stuck out in this book was that there's so much love and so much violence, and they're coexisting together. But before we get into themes, Lou, do you have a favorite passage? I do. I have a tale for you, winter pours. The wind is high, cold, its course is short. The bracken is very red, the cry of the barnacle goose, cold has taken, season of ice, a stag bells, summer is gone, the sun is low, the sea is strong running, its shape has been hidden, has become usual, the wings of birds, this is my tale. This is actually the beginning of the uh, the book. I just love that. The beginning, the introduction. Yeah, the introduction has more meaning to me now that I've read the whole book. Yeah. All right, so let's get into themes. There's so much to talk about here, things I really don't know where to start, but I kind of do know where I want to start because Maureen brought up this perplexing comparison of how women are treated in this book and how they are treated in another book that this podcast has done, Dragonflight. In Dragonflight, we all had a pretty strong reaction to how women were treated, especially the main character Lessa and her being shaken all the time <laughs> and, you know put in her place and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and yet in this book it's kind of the same thing I'm Maureen. so glad that you see that because <laughs> one of the things in Dragonflight it didn't bother me so much because Falar was always treating Lessa as someone who would one day be his peer and he was in the process of teaching her. Whereas in this book, women are never treated as peers. And one of the things that actually really stuck out to me was when Judith was basically attacking her siblings with a sword. And on the green, when we're first introduced to the kids, she's laughed at. And her anger is laughed at. And she's made fun of. Now, like, I will admit, she's a fiery girl. I relate. I get her. That that is one of the things that really stuck out to me is like it's very similar how women are treated in this book, but they're almost treated like they can be peers in Dragonflight. But I had on a personal level a much more visceral reaction to how women were treated in Dragonflight versus how they were treated in this book. Yeah, I was one thing about that. I was wondering this book is like has this historical fiction component in the 900 AD from you know what we've learned about in our history classes or seen in other movies women were treated this way that this book portrays it's not a sh shocking portrayal because we've already we we were already shocked whatever when we were 18 and learned about it or whatever that we were that was shocking we're used to this dynamic happening in this place of the world in that time. To me, Dragonflight was completely fantasy. There's, It's on a planet called Pern, you know, who knows, thousands of millennia from now because mankind has learned how to travel to different universes. We presume they have like this clean slate and they could have like this society with lots of order where, you know, things are good, men and women, you know. Uh, and yet the author chose to revert back to these gender roles that are offensive i don't know but anyway maybe that helps explain why in one it was 
in one book it was just shockingly appalling in another book it's like the same thing but it was like oh yeah we have we've got a lot of other themes here as well jack any really get to you the there are two themes one of like otherness you know the anglicans and the singals and the the vikings it had like kind of racial slash otherness tones that helped set up the dynamic in the book who you're the the singals are nothing but a bunch of cattle thieves you know the anglicans are like these fake piety you know the vikings are just these berserkers i thought what was cool about it is that in each case we find out that their characters are way more complex than that the the whole idea of being prejudiced or scared of the unknown didn't apply as you get to know someone so that was one cool theme that I think he, he set up and then, you know, kind of exposed. The other, and there is another, there's other books that are in this universe. I haven't read it, but there's one that predates this one, I think by a couple hundred years. And it's the beginning of the religion this, with the sun god. I really got into the role that religion played in that period, right? That I mentioned earlier, central governments being super weak at one time, you know, 500, 600 years before that, central governments were not weak. There were roads, there were mail-type services, there was arts, literature. All of that collapsed, and it had to be that those responsibilities had to be taken over by the church. She's not really qualified to do that, but they did. It, they did. They stepped into that role. It just toyed with with those ideas, and I thought it was really cool. And it's on my list to read the predecessor to this book to see if they do more with that sure anybody else have any themes they want to discuss for me there was this paradox of extremes happening in this book and the title of the book is perfect for it the last light of the sun to me reminds me of dusk the time of day when the day the day is ending night is coming on but it's still in between it's where both kind of exist at the same time and here in this book we have regret and some of the characters, such as Elan, as Lou was alluding to when Elan is regretful that his brother gets killed, and reconciliation, regret and reconciliation. They're, they're together throughout this book, Thorkelson and his son, Byrne. Byrne trying to overcome the legacy, the bad legacy of his dad, but also live up to the legacy of his dad. And how can he reconcile that within himself? Reconciliation in some ways between a fairy world and a human world. Regret for giving in to something superstitious or something that's deemed bad for society, but reconciling in ourselves, in the character selves, that that actually happened and has a place in the you know tapestry of one's past. Violence. There's the violence in these in these battles are so crude and so intense, and yet there's also an amazing amount of tenderness happening between characters. How does you know how do you have those both of those existing? It's such a lovely, amazing story because the author just balances these opposites and puts them together in a way that's absolutely how it feels like real life is. That real life, is real life then. Real life right. then. Right, like Burn, you're like, oh, cool, happy ever, ha- happy ever after. He really learned his lesson. His dad saved him from this life of crime. On the way home, he went and slaughtered a bunch of priests and took their gold, though. So he's kind of set for life. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you kind of don't mind that he did it. Yeah. yeah I mean, know. right? Yeah, no, no, it's cool because he's set now. Yeah, he's cool and he's set now. But I also just didn't mind because it was Burn. And I know that Burn now has has gone from this kid running away from his village on a horse he's not supposed to take out of some brash. He doesn't even understand why he did it, just that, you know, screw this, I'm out of here, I'm taking this horse. He's going on this huge journey, gets into the most prestigious Viking mercenary team, goes on this crazy raid that turns out to be super dynamic with all these relationships, and the capping moment to fulfill his self-actualization is to indeed... Go kill a bunch of priests and take his gold. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, the author spent like half a page on. It was a tasty half a page. It was. <laughs> it it didn't bother me because we didn't know him. You know, it, we spent all of the the whole book just getting to know all of these people and their trials and their troubles, their histories and their goals. And he goes and kills a bunch of random strangers. So I was okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> Must be the Viking in me. I don't know. Let's take a moment 
And I believe we have a word from our sponsor. This podcast is presented to you by The Sword Shop. The Sword Shop can help you brandish the sword, the mythical sword that's right for you. Brandish the mythical sword that's right for you with The Sword Shop. They've got a bevy of swords, lots of choices. We've been working with The Sword Shop for a long time. They're a friend of the pod. Think of them as like the blacksmith in Flea Bottom, but online. Lots of choices. They have the edged, the mythical edged weapon that will fit your needs. They gave us a tour of their factory recently. We were looking at genuine replicas of Anduril, which just strikes you as something you want to use for a formal occasion. Excalibur, with or without it being embedded into the stone. So I don't know how your house is decorated, but nothing ties together a room like Excalibur hanging above the fireplace. Or you could have it out front embedded in the stone. They've got tons of choices. He-Man's power sword. I know a group of guys going to Vegas. It was the perfect accessory for their trip to Vegas. Not my style, but it was perfect for them. And the reason I'm talking about this is because they've got it all. Any kind of sword you need, they have. The sword shop. So right now, if you go to www.theswordshop.com and take a look at their selection, at checkout, if you enter our code, BFE, standing for Books from Earth, you can have your sword enchanted for 20% off. So I recently got a nice Vorpal blade. I haven't had the occasion to use it. I hope I don't need it. But if I do, I, you know, I, I feel really confident that I'm, it's going to serve my needs. And because it's super sharp, made from recycled Valyrian steel, handmade by the very best blacksmiths, and enchanted. So I feel safe. It'll keep me and my family safe. Go to theswordshop.com to brandish the mythical sword that's right for you. Now, back to the pod. Guy Gabriel Kay has um, moments in this book, just like a paragraph or so, where he drops some big picture stuff. I think it was Maureen's reading earlier captured one of these moments where Eldred's youngest daughter does something very brave, and he talks a little bit about bravery. Did anyone else on the pod pick up one of these moments where Guy goes kind of deep on us real quick and, and have a moment of wisdom? And the ending of page 147, he says, Life for all men under the gods was uncertain as weather or winter seas. The only truth worth calling true as the ending of one of the sagas had it. I just thought, you know, it's like what's certain in life is death and taxes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. In this book, there's just this. It's like everybody's living in question almost. Everybody's uncertain. People don't know where Byrne, Alan, King Aldred, they don't know where things are headed. They almost don't know where they're going. And if, for me, the, the lighting in this story is always dimmed like halfway down. You can't you, you just couldn't see beyond, you know, a certain periphery or even know it was happening. So that passage just kind of captured that perfectly. Thanks for bringing it. You all are in Hollywood. It's time to figure out who we're going to cast. You can cast anybody you want. You've got an unlimited budget and you're pretty famous by now. So, you know, you can have anybody you want. They're dying to work for you. But you know, I think I, there should be bonus points for anybody who doesn't have anyone from Game of Thrones, because this is hard not to be defaulting towards Game of Thrones. Or Lord of the Rings. Mm. Yes. Well, you're taking out a lot of possibilities. I'll just default myself. The only person I could think for Kenyon was, you know, Agent Smith, the elf from Lord of the Rings. Can't remember his name. The, the Mr. Anderson guy? Yeah, V for Vendetta. I love him, too. I will watch him in anything. But he was the only person I could think of for Kenyon. I had Ian McKellen for Kenyon. Lord of the think, Rings, faults. I know. I know. I know. I only had one. It was Thorman from, he's from North of the Wall, the red-haired dude. from Oh, Tormund Giantsbane? Yeah, Tormund Giantsbane. I love that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's like pretty obviously 
the father Viking dude. Yeah, it was hard. I couldn't couldn't let go. Even the whole like the moment I started reading the book, that's who I saw. Yeah, it's it's hard not to dip into those. Hugo Weaving, by the way, is Agent Smith. To me, there's an obvious grab here, not from either of those two series, and it's Alexander Skarsgård from yeah. True Blood. He was ah. the sheriff in True yeah. Blood, who then, gosh, it's been a long time since True Blood. So what would be, well, who would be his character in this book? So, so he could be, I think, any one of, he could be Alan, he could be Burr, and he could probably be um, King Eldred's son, maybe. Maybe. Alan, King Eldred's son, and Thorkel go into the woods together and go through that awesome part of the book where they're trying to get to the woods and all kinds of crazy stuff happens. He could be one of those. I think I'm leaning a little bit towards Alan because Alan is not – doesn't have a warrior's build. So I had Alan much younger than him. Like the end of Silver Spoons when Ricky Schroeder (laughs) is is just getting too old for the show. That's who I have, someone like that. Just getting kicked in the balls by his sister like a couple times because that does happen, right? I've got the right people there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well – we're kind of limited in casting this group because they're all from one pretty much area of the world. There, It's kind of hard to do this without Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. You just really took a lot. Casting director. But now, why can't casting director, Jack? Why Why bonus points for getting someone people aren't going to recognize? Well, no, bonus points because it's so hard. As I read it, it was like so Game of Thrones-ish to me. It's similar. You know, you're like walking on foot. You're taking horses. There's uh, the Night's Watch, which kind of reminds me of the Jormsvik a little bit. There's the the whole idea of just like bastards, thieves, and, you know, lowborn trying to go all their way to the top. So it just had similar feel to me. And so I thought if anyone could come with ideas that didn't come from, that were influenced by Game of Thrones, I would give them bonus points. As a matter of fact, the sword shop would enchant their blade uh, <laughs> at no additional cost. We, we could get them. Off. We could get them to do that, or throw in a scabbard or something. Yeah. Right, right, like a jeweled scabbard. Well, uh, I mean, I brought Alexander Skarsgård, so so far you've got the only bonus points. Good call. You can only get away with it in rom coms, like Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Doris Day and Rock Hudson. You can you can get away with it in rom coms because you want the same story over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you cast the same show in the same the same actors in the same genre, you don't want that. Do you know what I mean? Like if they were to do another Breaking Bad style show, you can't cast Aaron Paul and I love him so much. What is his name? Mr. White. Heisenberg. He's the best actor in the world. (laughs) You can't do it again because we've already seen that show. Do you know what I mean? Thank you, Brian Cranston. So I didn't mean to piss on anyone's parade. If they have like cool Games of Thrones people and Lord of the Rings people, let's hear it. Well, I I actually have another one I'm going to win a bonus on. Oh, okay. Juliette Lewis. Again? I I thought Juliette Lewis too. For The Witch? Yes. Yes, for The Witch. Yeah. Massive bonus points, guys. Good call. Total, she could totally be a witch. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, would you have her be the old hag witch that rapes no. Burn or the younger witch that saves Burn? The younger, the snake bitten. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, young, yeah. the younger one. The one with the snake. Yeah. yeah. I, either one. Either one. You uh, could also go Lindsay Lohan for the younger one. Tell me more sure. about that. Yeah, I don't, I'm not. <laughs> That was pretty random. You threw me a curveball there, Cassie. I don't know if I got much more than that. Okay. Uh, I <laughs> That's what that was. You were yeah, just trying to get fun. Thought I'd throw that out there. I could see it. That's all. okay. Well, there there is one character that I think should have zero recognition. Like somebody just brought in, maybe from modeling or something. But we, I don't think we can cast the fairy as anyone who's recognizable. Mm-hmm. She is as so soon not, as not Liv uh, Tyler, not Liv Tyler. Sorry, not Liv Tyler. She's already been an elf and she's Lord of the Rings. She wouldn't get any bonus points. Okay, but, got it, got it. Um, 
the whole thing about the fairy is that this is a world we're not allowed, allowed to really know about or see or touch. If I'm watching – if I'm in the movie and I'm watching it and I see a famous actress playing the fairy, I'm I, – th- the spell is broken. Mm-hmm. Good call. So I don't know who we're going to get for the fairy, but let's start looking through some magazines at models or something because apparently the fairy's beauty is overwhelming or whatever. So. so I would think that it would be a successful cast if you cast people – cast the up-and-comers versus the big names in this particular series – and you think it's a series, not a movie? Oh, yes. We haven't gotten there yet. Sorry. No, we we can. Well, Lou, did you have any casting? Casting well, director Lou? Well, I had uh, Ewan McGregor as King Aldred. That's a good which one. Is, which is funny because he's, he was, he's actually Scottish. So there'll be like a little dig <laughs> to the English. And for Burn, I had Chris Hemsworth. Oh, Okay. You know, a lot of scenes, a lot yeah. of scenes with his with his shirt off, Lou. Sweating. Exactly, sweaty. Yeah. You know, his hair. <laughs> uh-huh. Got it. Yeah. I just uh, changed my mind. I'm on board, Lou. <laughs> you're on board. <laughs> good, good. That is. That's good. Great, Lou. Hemsworth. You can earn some bonus yeah. points. Well, Maureen, you get to rate. Do we want to go PG, PG-13, R, or TVMA? Oh gosh. So there are so many advantages to going R. <laughs> and mostly so there's some sex in the book and you can get a little bit more graphic if you do that but mostly it's the violence and it, I'm thinking if you do there's not a whole lot of R content it's sparsed in between but if you do you really get to do some of the cool stuff but PG-13 would make it more accessible and it is not overrun with a ton of like grown-up content for lack of a better phrase because i don't want to call it mature because it's not really mature so that's what i would say we can work with that did we settle tv tv series a movie i mean there was some discussion series yeah i think to develop oh movie lou say more well knowing k he has a um a series which is amazing that i would put it's a three-book series. I would put that in a uh, series, right? This is a, it's a standalone, and you can make about a movie for about you know, two and a half hours. I think you could put it, you could put it about two and a half hours in this movie. Because it's, it's a story. Story, it has a pretty discreet beginning and end, and the author does a great job kind of wrapping up all of the various characters lives and, and plot line that's that's kind of where i'm hearing you come from and this we could do this in a movie if you did it in a series it'd have to be about four it'd be a short series you know maybe six six episodes at most any other casting we're in hollywood we get to do whatever we want with this if we do that i want to put benedict cumberbatch and stephen colbert in there just because i like to look at them oh we can we can definitely find a way there's plenty <laughs> of characters here so i have a favorite passage that i want to read in Ivar looked at the man more closely, a ship on either side of theirs now, then lashing them together, practiced ease. It had grown darker. His eyes worked better in this twilight with lanterns. Ingvin's blind eye. Something slid into place with that phrase. Who is your father? He asked sharply, anger cracking through with awareness. I think I know. He's a Jorm's Viking, snapped Brand his voice crashing in, heavy as a smith's hammer. We are born when we pass through the walls into brotherhood. Our histories do not matter. We shed them. Even maggots like you know that of us. Yes, yes, but I think I know. The way he speaks, I think his father was with... Brand struck him a second time, harder than before, on the mouth. Ivar went down on his back, spat blood, then a tooth. Someone laughed. The hotness went red. He reached towards the dagger in his boot and stopped, trolling himself to control men. He could be killed here, going for a weapon. Sprawled on his back, he looked up at the big man over him, spat red again to the side, spread his hands to show they were empty. Saw a sword, then another one, both bright as if flaming, torch light upon them. He died there, astonished. It could be said, as Leofson's heavy blade spitted him, biting deep into the deck beneath his body. It's a great passage. You know, I like it because it's very well described. Also because Ivar is like this horrible bad person throughout the whole book. 
He's like the cause of why everybody's woe, particularly this story, pretty much. And the author doesn't monkey around with the plot. When Ivar crosses the line, he gets a sword right through his body so hard that it goes into the deck. Yeah. The Viking in me is just like, yeah, that's how we just destroy our foes. And now let's go raid a monastery and take other gold. It's just <laughs> calling to me. A lot of authors will mess around about a character like Ivar and have them continue to get to do bad stuff and you just can't stand it. And people around the bad guy who could do something about it are suddenly unable to do something obvious about it. And I just can't stand that stuff when authors do that. And here, yes, we just get very satisfied. Yeah. And they, he led up to it, too, because there was all of the manipulation that he was trying to pull right before it. And you're like, oh, no, they're all going to fall for it. But, you know, Guy Gabriel K did not go that route. I love it. Me too. The only, the only part I did like was that he was an albino. He looked completely different than everybody else. And he is the evil dude. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. rough. I was like, yeah. oh, man. Uh. Yeah, it, it's a it's it, the backstory for Ivar. We get that again. We yeah. get that. And the way that Ivar's backstory unfolds is believable. And it, the natural unfolding of the events that take place in Ivar's life, not only being albino, but other things that take place kind of outside of his control and the way he reacts to them are totally natural. And so when Ivar becomes this sort of nasty, manipulative person, it psychopath makes sense that he's killer. that way. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, he's he's a psychopath, so it doesn't all make sense all the way. But it, you can see that with a person with that background born of those circumstances could end up that way. Yeah. He's just not this like – he's not like the Ice King from Game of Thrones. You have no, you, you have no idea what's going on with this guy. He's just – this super power ice king, whenever winter comes, he comes along and has, you know, this army of zombies. There's nothing there. All you know is he's a bad guy. He needs to be destroyed. But Ivar has this whole backstory, this richness, this tapestry to his life, too, even though he's a villain. So can I just tack one thing on to all of this? Because yeah. what has been interesting is how much Game of Thrones has come up in this discussion today. And I was thinking that as I was reading through this book, it's very comparable to Game of Thrones. And what it was for me was the whole historical aspect of this is actually based on events that happened, which is the same as Game of Thrones. It has a slight magic element, but it doesn't really interfere with the characters day to day doings and like you were saying earlier, Josh, the um the wielding, there's no human element really to the magic that's going on so all of that it, it's interesting that i'm not the only one that thought that so i i just wanted to bring that up real quick and see what you guys thought totally there with you it was like very games of throne-esque but one book not a huge series not not a movie not tv not all this stuff packed into it you know kind of like decaffeinated game of thrones light less dragons less less breasts Far fewer breasts. Yeah, this this wasn't – well, I, this brings me to a, a bonus question I wanted to ask you guys. Alon and the fairy fall in love, and they get it together in the forest. Weird. What was that? What was your take of that? Odd? Did it not really belong in the story? It struck me as cliche. Either of them is required to grow in that relationship but they have the illusion of growing if that makes sense and so and on top of that neither of them is required to bring their full selves to the table and so that whole relationship was very juvenile which may be appropriate for the character because i think if we're i think in the book it was kind of his first relationship shallow and hollow that's how it played to me I love their, the scenes where they interacted, where the fairy world interacted with humans. I love those scenes in the book. But that particular scene, on one hand, is a favorite passage of mine. On the other hand, I'm kind of like, what was that? Yeah, I'm okay with the fan service. I, I, <laughs> I, I get it. It's the shape of the story, and it's not a surprise. And it is a little YA to uh, Maureen's point, but I'm okay with it. Lou. What of, makes this book special? What makes this book special? Wow. It's the story and the writing. 
and how he brings the stories of you know these three people and these three peoples Vikings, Erlings, and the Kingel all together in one tapestry, you know, it's like, it's just a great story. It's a great story. I'm with Lou. (laughs) (laughs) For, for me, this book was very special because it was beautifully, beautifully crafted, beautifully written. What drew me to it especially was how deeply everything was explored. And the characters, the scenes, the setting, the motivations. This book is special because it is a beautiful exploration. And I just felt like I was looking at a giant picture of everything where every artistic detail was drawn perfectly, but it was a mural the size of a building. It was beautiful. Thanks, everybody. And that finishes episode four, Books from Earth where we covered Last Light of the Sun by Guy Gabriel K. Good hang, guys. Great hang. So I didn't mean to piss on anyone's parade if they have, like, cool Games of Thrones people and Lord of the Rings people. Let's hear it. Well, I, I actually have another one I'm going to win a bonus on. Oh, okay. Juliette Lewis. Again? Oh, I, I thought Juliette Lewis, too. For the witch? Yes! Yes, oh. for the witch! Yeah. Massive bonus points, guys. Good call. She could totally be a witch. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, would you have her be the old hag witch that rapes no. Bird or the younger witch that saves Bird? The younger, the snake bitten. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, young, the younger one. Go with the snake. Yeah. I, either one. Either one. You uh, could also go Lindsay Lohan for the younger one. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I'm not... <laughs> I was pretty random. You threw me a curveball there, Kathy. <laughs> I don't know if I got much more than that.